Thanks for listening to the podcast from Gary Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Wilson, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. All right, well, good morning, y'all. Happy Thanksgiving. It's good to be with you. My name is Jonathan, and I'm the pastor of uh, administration and children here, and I am honored to be with you all and standing in for Pastor Gary today so he can have a little bit of a vacation. And uh, we're going to be, you know, Thanksgiving wasn't too long ago, right? We're going to be talking about giving thanks in all circumstances. And uh, I pray that that's uh, how we will uh, remember this this time is, uh, as the Word soaks over us, that we would be uh, able to give thanks in all circumstances. A lot of times we, we talk about God's will. <clears throat> you know, if you look back, you know, depending on how old you are, you a certain number of decisions that you've already made and a certain number of decisions that are getting ready to come. And uh, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, hopefully you are saying to yourself, Lord, I want to know your will. I'd like to make these decisions according to your will, not according to my will. That's a good thing. We should be asking those questions. Uh, but what we've discovered in life, though, is that sometimes it's really hard to know whether you made the right decision. And sometimes there's anxiety that comes with, oh, I've got to make... I gotta make sure I make the right decisions. So, you know, you have these some minor decisions and some major decisions. You know, who am I gonna marry and and uh, where am I gonna live and what career am I gonna have? And and uh, sometimes we can get caught up in trying to decide, okay, here's option A and option B, and oh, what's the right decision? So the thing that uh, we learn though is that God is more interested in our hearts, the conditions of our hearts, than he is in the decisions that we make. Here's, here's a quote from C.S. Lewis that kind of helps us uh, think about this. This is from his book, Mere Christianity. He says, We might think that God wanted simply obedience to a set of rules, whereas he really wants a people of a particular sort. He's more interested in us becoming the kind of person that follows the rules than he is about us following the rules. Does that make sense? He's, he's more interested in us becoming the sort of person who's experiencing his will than he is judging us to make sure that we've made the right choice in every little detail of life. Does that make sense? He wants us to become a particular sort of people. So the Christian life then becomes less about making sure we do more of the right things and less of the bad things, and it becomes about us judging our own hearts and saying, what, what am I really after in life? What am I following? Have I... Have I become the sort of person who, who does the things that God does because I'm becoming more like him. That's, that's a heart set on intentionally pursuing Christ-likeness. And then the decisions that we make then will fall from that. We start saying, okay, I'm going to choose the career that I'm going to choose because I want to be on mission for God, part of his redemptive, redemptive mission on planet Earth to bring all things reconcile all things to himself. And I I want to choose a career that helps me use the gifts and talents that he's given me to be part of that. That's what God is really interested in. It's the the sort of person who would make that sort of decision. I want a mate. I I want a husband or a wife that will be part of my development in into Christ likeness. That's what that's what he's really after. So do you want to be transformed to be like Jesus. That's what we're going to learn today. We're going to learn how to actually experience what God wants for you. What is God's will for you today? 
So Paul, he wrote a letter to the church at Thessalonica. We call it uh, Thessalonians, these, these, these books. It's a church he planted, and he's writing back to them to help them learn to grow, more to be like Jesus. And he taught them that God's will for them was to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Now, can we experience transformation into Christ-likeness? Yes, we can. What does that look like? Well, this text is going to give us three marks, not all the marks, but three marks of what it looks like to be experiencing God's will and to be transformed to be like him. And you should recognize these verses because the kids said them for you. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. So let's learn how, what are, what are three marks of the one who's experiencing God's will? Number one, we thought long and hard about this, y'all, these points, figuring out how to, what, how, always be joyful. We just took it directly. What, what I'm hoping is that at the end of this, you're like, wow, I me- actually memorized this, these verses. You got, the, you got the Bible verses right here. Always be joyful. Now, if you thought you were going to escape this morning without having to learn the motions that the kids made up, you were mistaken. So everybody stand up. I'm trying to get you to burn some of those calories from Thanksgiving dinner, okay? This is, you're getting a twofer out of this today. All right, so these are motions that the kids made up. So we, one of the things I love about the kids making up the motions is it causes them to have to deal with the verses that they're learning. Like, what does this actually mean? Sidebar, some of their misunderstandings are very funny. But, okay, so here's, here's the motions they came up with for this. This verse 16. So always. So it's like a clock. Like, think about, think about a clock, like all times of the day. Always be joyful. Now, that was fine, but if you'll notice, I didn't do this. All right, so let's try this again. Always be joyful. All right, good. Much better. All right, have a seat. (laughs) Always be joyful. Okay, before we start digging into this, though, we kind of have to, we got to go to the end of this thing to figure out why it is we're even talking about this. Why, Why is this even a good thing for us? Look at the end of verse 18. It says, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. This is God's will, that you would always be joyful. Notice he doesn't say, he's not talking about major decisions in life. He's saying, here's who you will be. That's God's will, that you would experience this. It, it would be really easy for us to just kind of fly over the speed bump and be like, yeah, 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 we want God's will. But let's stop for a second. And let's just honestly look within our own hearts and our own minds and our own lives and ask ourselves the question, are we really wanting, do we really want, is our heart to really experience God's will for our lives in every part of our lives? This is an important question. This is perhaps the most important question for the Christian. Do you want to experience God's will in every part of your life? This is the foundational question that we must ask ourselves. And we must want it, and we must pursue it. The great problem in our churches today is that we actually don't have an expectation that each one of us who are part of this fellowship will be transformed into the likeness of Jesus from the inside out. 
That's the great problem we have. We want our circumstances to change. We want God to fix things that are going on around us, but we don't actually have an expectation that we ourselves will change from the inside out. This must be corrected. This is God's will for you, that you will be transformed. I have to say, as a pastoral team, we see this play out quite a lot. We see people... They come to the fellowship, they come to the church, which is just the the gathering of people who have surrendered to Jesus, and they come because they're experiencing the brokenness that comes from sin. They're experiencing the death and destruction of relationships and and, and they're experiencing the sting of sin, and they come to the church. Now, this, this is the place to come, because if the source of the brokenness and destruction is sin, well, the only thing, the only antidote to that is the blood of Jesus Christ. They've come to the right place. However, if we don't set our targets correctly, high enough, if we're only coming to the fellowship, to the church, or to Jesus, to fix the brokenness around us as a result of the sin, and to not be transformed inside of us, then quite often this happens. We come, we experience, we actually get some tools and techniques maybe that actually help us the brokenness that is around us starts to heal a little bit. Some stability starts to come. And then you look up and you go, where's that person? They just stopped coming. Why? Because being transformed into the likeness of Jesus is a much higher target than just experience healing from brokenness. And it's the target we have to set our, our sights on. And it's, it requires surrender. And it requires an inner desire to really be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And quite, off, quite honestly, sometimes that's not as appealing at first blush to just having our lives be fixed. And so life becomes just good enough where we think we actually don't need Jesus anymore. He's done what he needs to do, and I can move on. Because we haven't set our targets on Christ-likeness. We haven't set our vision to godliness. We've set our vision lower that God would fix me and fix my circumstances. What is it that we're doing here? Why, why did we come today? Why do we do this small group thing? Why do we, why do we spend this time? What, why are we here? Here's a quote from, from Dallas Willard from his book, The Renovation of the Heart, that I think is just so perfect to describe what this local this gathering should be about. He says, we can perhaps just say that local congregations are made up of the children of light who light up their world. That's pretty good. Just stop there. We're children of light who light up our world. That's who we are. In whom spiritual formation in Christ-likeness has done and is doing its steady, ongoing work. What we see here is not an impossible dream. It's not a hopeless idealization. It has been done. And it can be done now if we turn our efforts under God in the right direction. And that direction would be one that makes spiritual formation in Christ-likeness the exclusive primary goal of the local congregation. That's why we're here. We have an exclusive primary goal to be more like Jesus. Otherwise, why would we do this? Why would we keep hanging out with these people that some of them we don't really like, if we're honest with ourselves? When, when we have divisions, when things start to, when we 
you know, butt heads and there's a, there's, a, there's a falling out. Why would we stay instead of just leaving? Because being happy and just hanging around with people that naturally make us like them, turns out that's not the exclusive primary goal of the local congregation. Our goal is to become more like Jesus. And therefore, we put up with a lot of stuff together because we got, we've got a job to do, and that's to, and that's to submit ourselves to Jesus to become more like him. So, okay, we spent some time on this, on this foundation, because what I want to make sure you don't get is always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances. These are not commands that I'm just asking you to just try a little harder to, to, to do these, please, will you? Okay, I'm going to tell you these things. I just want you to try a little bit harder. Can you just be a little bit better at this when you leave here, please? That's not what we're after. What we're saying is, can we be more of the kind of person who is more joyful? What does that look like? How do we get there? How do we become that person? Always be joyful. Okay. These are marks of one who's experiencing God's will. What does that look like? What does joy even look like? What, is it a feeling? I, I, guess it, I guess it's a feeling. It's an emotion. But it, it's got to be deeper than just, if he's telling us it's possible for us to always be joyful, then it has to be bigger than just feeling good about what's happening in our world, right? It's got to be better. It's got to be more than that because n- not everything is as it should be in our world. Can we agree on that? right? So how can we always be joyful? It's not faking it. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit, meaning it's something that, that, is, that is building up inside of us. It's growing inside of us. We're, over time, we're, we're exhibiting more and more joy from the inside. Um, I don't know if you realize this, y'all, but when we're up here preaching, like we see your faces, like we're looking at you. And um, I, I, I do this too, I'm sure when I'm out there just listening, quite often, this is what I get back. That's cool. That's, that's fine. That's how I am too. My point is, I can't look at you all. Some of y'all are like, I can't look at you all and determine, is that person joyful? Some, the person who is most, might actually be the most joyful person in the room. I don't know. I can't tell. Because joy is not something that is necessarily an outward thing. It, it's something that's coming on the inside. Right? So you can't judge. You can't look at your neighbor and just look at them and go, that person's joyful or that person's not joyful. You don't know because it's something that's going on on the inside. So what is this? Um, again, I got another quote from C.S. Lewis. I'm sorry, but it's a good one. What is joy? It, it, how, how do we look at the world around us so if you think of this world as a place intended simply for our happiness, you find it quite intolerable. Think of it as a place of training and correction, and it's not so bad. Imagine a set of people all living in the same building. Half of them think it's a hotel, half of them think it's a prison. Those who think it's a hotel might regard it as quite intolerable. And those who thought it was a prison might decide it's really surprisingly comfortable. The people who try to hold an optimistic view of this world would become pessimists. The people who hold a pretty stern view of it become optimistic. Turns out the pessimists are the happiest people on the, on the earth because <laughs> they're not constantly disappointed. Is that what joy is, right? Just like, you know, I think, you know, 
if you go through life singing, always look on the bright side of life. I'm waiting for the whistle. No one's going to whistle back at me. Okay. If, that, if that's just, okay, just always look on the bright side of life. Just, just impose an external happiness regardless of what's happening. Just, just put it out of your mind and think happy thoughts. Boy, that doesn't lead to joy, does it? See, if you're, if you're seeking after happiness, if that's your primary goal, you are guaranteed to not find it. You're guaranteed not to find joy, and you're also guaranteed not to find happiness either, if that's your goal. What is this, what is this joy? Let's look at some, some passages in Scripture that talk about this. James 1, 2 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. I'm sorry. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider. I read that right. When troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for joy. This is weird. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So James is writing here that troubles are an opportunity for joy. Well, that's that's strange. Paul is in prison when he writes these words. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. He's in prison writing that. That's strange. Nehemiah 8.10 Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So do not be grieved. The joy of the... Now, we, this is a pretty famous verse, and, and, and you, might, you might know this verse, and you might say it to yourself. But let's be careful how we say it to ourselves, because sometimes we, we get the words backwards in terms of what we actually mean. Sometimes we say it to ourselves and we say, the strength of the Lord is your joy. Meaning, what God is going to accomplish for me in my life is what will bring me joy. That's not what it says, is it? It says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Meaning, part of God's essence, his very essence, is joy. And as we become more like him and experience fellowship with him, we experience more of that joy and it gives us strength. So joy becomes strength to us to, to look at trials and tribulations in a new way and to experience joy through suffering. That's strength. And it comes from God's joy. 1 Peter 1.6 In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So we're supposed to rejoice in the trials. Well, this is not always look on the bright side of life stuff. Right? You know, when, when we plan these sermons... In order to keep from being a hypocrite, we have to think about, okay, is, how is this applying to me in my life? I have to think about this. I have to say, okay, Lord, am I exhibiting this? Am I, how's this working on me? And uh, so uh, Pastor Jonathan from our Rocky Mount campus and I were planning this last week. And uh, so we go through, we do the whole preparation thing, and then I go home. And that evening, uh, I'm potty training a two-year-old, okay? And that evening, he has decided that while peeing in the toilet is a good thing, peeing next to the toilet is also acceptable. That's what he's decided. And so I am literally on my hands and knees in the bathroom cleaning this mess up, and this thought pops into my head. I'm supposed to be joyful right now? Always be joyful? I'm like, is that, is that right, Lord? Because <laughs> this doesn't seem like an opportunity for joy. <laughs> what is it, man? What is this? And that's a silly example, 
right? It, some of us, we look back on our past and we see tragedy or trial that, that literally rocked your world. And you're saying, was I joyful in the middle of that? Or maybe it's rocking your world right now. And you're like, I don't feel joy. Like, what, what, am I, what am I supposed to be doing right now about this? Can, can this be true of me? Always be joyful, in the, even in the midst of this, in this trial of trials? How do we put this into practice? How do we become a person who is marked by joy? I think the first thing we have to look at is, is we have to understand that joy, joy and hope, I think, are really, really uh, connected. We don't experience joy if we don't have hope. Hope is future-oriented. As we sang, Christ is our firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. So when we, we look at it, what is our ultimate hope in life? It's that God, he's made us right with him, and we will spend eternity with him, completely right, completely perfect, completely in fellowship with him for all of eternity. That is a hope we have, that he's, he's prepared that place for us. And, and we can be absolutely certain of that hope. W- without that kind of future-oriented, we're living in the perfect kingdom of God. It's really hard to have joy now. And, and I, think, I think what it looks like, maybe as we put this into practice, we say, okay, it looks like the Lord's prayer being answered. That God's kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't, isn't that when we, when we really experience joy? When God's kingdom, when we start to see little evidences of God's kingdom, of heaven on earth, we start looking inside of ourselves and we go, whoa, he's really done the work inside of me. That's the miracle. He's changed me. Oh, look, look how he, look how he, he allowed me. Look at, look at this work that, that he did through me. And I, I saw a little glimpse of heaven right there. I saw God's love purely on display. That's what gives us joy. It's when heaven comes to earth. And so pursuing joy then looks like saying, God, I want to see more of that. I want to see more of your kingdom now. I want to see more of heaven on earth. That's what gives us joy. So little glimpses into eternity, into our hope that we can be sure of. I think the person that's truly marked by Paul's words here, that always be joyful, they're experiencing heaven in increasing measure on earth. That's what joy looks like. And I also don't think you can experience the joy of the Lord without the peace of the Lord, right? Like, you think about what, what can steal your joy. Your, your joy, the strength of your joy, is determined by what can steal it. And so if, you know, Paul in Acts 10.36, he just said it in the most beautiful way. He said, that this is the good news. This is the gospel. There is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord over all. And when, when that peace, that bedrock foundation that I am right with God, not because of anything I did, but because Jesus Christ paid the penalty for my sin and he made me right with God, then at your deepest level you can breathe and go, everything is as it should be. My soul is right with God. That's kind of a prerequisite to experiencing joy, to experiencing little bits of heaven on earth. Okay, we spent a lot of time on that first one. We've got two more to go the first mark of one who is experiencing God's will is that you are joyful. When you're joyful, you're experiencing God's will for your life. The second one, never stop praying. 
never stop praying. You just, if you can say that in your head right now, always be joyful, never stop praying, you just memorized two verses. That's pretty impressive. Well done, guys. All right, stand up. We got to learn some more motions, y'all. Uh, we, you know, we got folks in the gathering place next door. I really, I'm really hoping you all are standing up and doing this too, because if not, I, someone's going to tell on you. So, let's go back and review. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. I'll help you remember it. All right, good. Have a seat. Never stop praying. What boy? Who is the person that is marked by this? What does this look like? Is this a command where God's up in heaven? Just he's got a he's got a a, a, a timer. He's like, all right, let's see how long you can go this time. He's praying. He's praying. He's praying. He's praying. He's praying. Oh, he just stopped. Thirteen seconds, really? Is that the God we serve? Can we get to 14 next time, please? Never stop praying. Is that what it looks like? He's timing us and he's, he's dinging us every time we stop? I don't think that's what, that, what, he's, what he's going after here. I guess what he's saying is, be, be a person who is constantly in fellowship with God, in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Be that kind of person. Be the kind of person who's constantly hearing from God and talking to God. You're just in fellowship with Him. Uh, I was recently doing some, uh, some major mechanical work on my car, and some of y'all are like, I thought he was an IT guy. I didn't know he was a mechanic. Well, you're, you're correct. <laughs> and uh, so there was a lot of praying happening during this exercise. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. I go and watch the video. I'm like, okay, this is my next step. Lord, help me. And I go and do this. Like, is that what that looks like? Just, yeah, Lord, help me. Well, maybe. I don't know. I actually heard this from my wife uh, yesterday. I was preparing for this. I was like, oh, I heard. Okay. She's doing the same thing I was doing. She was working on, uh, we, we, she does, well, it's not we, she, she does uh, homemade gifts for all of our kids at Christmas. So she was working on one of them yesterday. And I heard this coming from, from the other room. Lord Jesus, please make this right. Lord, help me. Is that, is that what it means to never stop praying? I mean, it, it's, it's not the worst thing in the world to, to, to say, Lord, I'm working on this car, or I'm working on this present here, and I need your help. <laughs> Please, help me. That's not the worst thing in the world. Um, I think the best analogy I've ever heard of this that just helps me, okay, it helps me look at this and say, am I becoming more of this kind of person? Is that when you wake up in the morning, you, you dial the Lord on your phone, your cell phone, you, you hit speaker, and you're like, morning, Lord. He says, morning. I don't know how he says it, but he says, morning. And, he, and you say, how'd you sleep? Oh, never mind, you don't sleep, never mind. And he says, how'd you sleep? He says, never mind, I know. You start this conversation, right? And you just leave it on speaker all day long. And this magical phone that you have doesn't run on a battery, okay? You just leave it on speaker, and you just carry it. Sometimes you stick it in your pocket, and you're like, hey, Lord, okay, get ready to go to work what you got for me today. And you're in a meeting and you're talking or you're working on something, you're doing, you're doing your thing. He's still there. You're just, you're just, you're just, he's just on speaker. You're, he's with you during the day. And sometimes you're like, okay, Lord, this person is getting ready to come in and I don't like this person. Can you help me? Lord, help me. Right? Or did I do that right? Was that? This, this is, I think that's what it looks like to be in constant fellowship. Not that you're saying prayers constantly, because we have things to do in life, but it's just that you're experiencing 
constant communion and fellowship with the Lord. And I think this actually kind of helps unlock those other things. So how can we be joyful always? How can we show gratitude, be grateful always? It kind of requires being in constant fellowship with the Lord, doesn't it? Like, okay, Lord, help me. I don't feel grateful right now. I don't feel joyful right now. Will you show me what I'm supposed to be? Uh, what's your perspective on this? Because my perspective is not, doesn't seem to be uh, very joyful. You, you have to have that, that constant fellowship with him so he'll start to show you those things. And then over time, you're like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm tending to be a more joyful person. I'm tending to be a more grateful person because he's showing you and he's working with you and he's with you all throughout the day. And isn't this a better motivation for our sin problem than, than some other motivations we might have? So we have these areas where we fall short of God's glory, right? We sin. And uh, we might want to not do that anymore. What is the motiva- motivation, though, sometimes for not doing that anymore? Is it, is it like me-centered? Like, I want to be better. I want to be a better person. I want to stop sinning so much. That's an okay motivation. Like, it is. But it isn't a better motivation to say, God, I don't want to feel the shame that causes me to hang up on you during the day. Isn't that a better motivation for sin? I don't want to break fellowship with you. I want to remain in fellowship with you, and I don't want there to be anything between us. And we know that he's, he forgives us. He's a good God. He forgives us over and over and over again. He lets us call him back up. He's like, all right, I'm still here. He, he, will, he will restore that fellowship time and time again. But isn't it a better thing to not have the fellowship be broken and to keep getting his perspective throughout the day? That's a better motivation for not breaking fellowship with the Lord than just trying to have some sort of self-improvement. Okay, that's the second. So the person who's experiencing God's will, this is God's will for your life, that you are always joyful and that you are always in fellowship with God. Never stop praying. Okay, the third. Be thankful in all circumstances. Be thankful in all circumstances. Okay, everybody stand up. we got some more motions. Y'all are getting slower. You should be anticipating this. Come on. All right. All right. Here we go. Be thankful in all circumstances. Okay. So this is the, this is the, uh, the motions that the kids came up with. Let's go back and review, right? So always be joyful. Never stop praying. And I thought this was cool. They're like, okay, we're already here, so we'll do this. Be thankful in all circumstances. Oh, that was a good one. Everything that's going on around you, because, boy, sometimes it gets spinning, doesn't it? I, th- I, I like the fact that you all are still doing this with me. This is good. I appreciate that. So in all circumstances, hold on, we've got to finish the, re- the rest of the verse. Okay. Be thankful in all circumstances for this, for this, what we just talked about, those three things, that's God's will for you. This is God's will. And I have to say, some of y'all's kids are really smart, because, again, they came up with these motions, and we were trying to figure out, how do you express God's will? What does that look like? Somebody did this. I'm like, that's it. This is what God wants for you. This is God's heart for you. When he looks down from heaven or wherever, it looks around, I don't know. I don't know how the geography works. When he looks at you, what does he want for you? He wants you to be a joyful person and a grateful person and to stay in fellowship with you. That's his heart. Okay, so for this is God's will for you who belong. That was cool too. Like you've been brought to God's heart. You belong to Christ Jesus. That's the sign language for Jesus. Pretty cool, huh? All right, have a seat.
Now you guys can memorize it. So this third, this third mark of one who is experiencing God's will is that you are thankful in all circumstances. You're thankful in all circumstances. Now, lest you thought you were getting out of here with a, without a Greek word, we can't, we can't go over this one. This is a good one. Be thankful. What is that? What's the Greek word behind that? hope I'm saying this right. Eucharisteo. Eucharisteo. It's where we get the English word Eucharist. And if you've ever heard that word, that's what we've been calling, this, this thing that we do up here, the, the, we call it the Lord's Supper, some call it communion. Uh, that's what it's been called from the very beginning, the Eucharist. And what it actually means is thanksgiving. That's what the word Eucharist actually means, is thanksgiving. So here you thought you were celebrating Thanksgiving this past Thursday. Turns out, every single Sunday when you come and celebrate the Lord's Supper, you're actually, you're experiencing, you're doing Thanksgiving. Isn't that cool? Think about that. That when you're coming and you're remembering what, that Christ's body was broken for you and his blood was shed for you, and you're saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've done with, for me. Thank you that you have made me right with God through your sacrifice. That's Thanksgiving. So it's not a one-day-a-year thing. It's actually, as often as you remember this, you're giving thanks. That's pretty cool. I, I just love how Paul lays it down here. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. He's writing to people that he knows that he's helped plant this church, and I think he's anticipating the, the but what abouts. You know, but what about, you know, but what should we do? In Be thankful in all circumstances. Now, I don't want to hear, this is God's will for you. You are thankful in all circumstances. He's like, I don't want to get into the flow chart. You're trying to figure out when you're allowed to not be thankful and when you're supposed to be thankful. We ain't getting into that. Be thankful in all circumstances. That's God's will. I don't want to hear any, but what abouts? That's how, I don't know, that's how I read this. Look at Ephesians 5.20. Give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, put that one to memory, and remember that when you come to take the Lord's Supper. I'm giving thanks, God, for everything. In the name of my Lord Jesus Christ, who his body was broken and blood was shed. Look at 1 Peter 4, 2. He's talking about the one who, is, who has put away sin and is becoming holy. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. What does that look like? We can be anxious about all sorts of things. What does it look like to be anxious to do the will of God? Well, here it looks like we're going, come on, God, come on, show me. Hey, I need to be thankful. It's been a little, it's been a while. Come on, give me something to be grateful for. Come on, I need to be joyful now, now. I don't want to wait. I don't know. But, but like, what does it look like to be anxious, to, act, to, to be pursuing so hard after God's will for your life that you're like, come on, I need it now. I need God's will now. That's pretty cool. Isn't, isn't Thanksgiving, that the holiday, just like all the other holidays, like there's a seed of meaning and essence that started the thing, and then we add all this other stuff to it, and it makes us forget what the essence of it is? <laughs> isn't that, I mean, think about all the holidays we celebrate, like Valentine's Day, for example. What? what Valentine? What do you mean? Oh, there's this guy? It was a saint? What is this all even about? I thought it was about giving people chocolates, right? So we lose the, we lose the essence. And uh, I know there's lots of different thoughts and, you know, historians disagree about what was actually happening on that first Thanksgiving meal between the pilgrims and the Indians, you know. Like, uh, 
just how friendly was it? Was it all politically motivated? You know, we, we don't really know, right? But we do know that whatever Thanksgiving and, and whatever merriment there was that day did not last long because within 20 years, the, the pilgrims had, had uh, massacred all of the Native Americans around them, including the people that they celebrated that feast with. We do know that. So if they were thankful that first day, didn't last long. We do the same thing now. We've just shortened the timeline. Like we don't wait for 20 years. We just, it's like we, have, we give thanks on a big, huge meal, and then the next morning we're out you know, stampeding people uh, trying to find the best deal. Right, so we, same thing, shortened timeline. Right? We've forgotten the essence of what is this thing, this Thanksgiving. And I, I think it's just instructive because you can't say, okay, I came to church on Sunday, I gave thanks a couple days ago at that big meal, so I'm good for, what, until next year? Like, is that cool? Is that, is that God giving thanks once a year? Is that cool? Oh, you, you want to do more than that? No, it's like, that doesn't make you a grateful person. Giving thanks once a year, or even honestly giving thanks each week when you come up here doesn't make you a more grateful person. Saying, I gave thanks last Sunday is different than I'm becoming a more grateful person, right? So it's the being that is required in order to be able to say, I can give thanks in all circumstances. So let's consider how we put this into practice. I think, let's look at three different targets of our gratitude. The first is gratitude towards God. How do we show gratitude towards God? How are we grateful for God? Well, if we sit and think about it and meditate on it and see the vision of what God has done for us, then we find ways to be grateful pretty easily. Look at the, the first three of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace. If we experience the love, joy, and peace of God, it gives us reasons to be grateful. Just, like, just start with the love of God the self-sacrificial love of God who would come to live with us, to be Emmanuel with us, to come into our messy situation and then die for us, to give his life for us so that we would be made right with God because we can't do it ourselves. That kind of love, that's what God shows. That's the kind of love God has. That's something to be grateful about, isn't it? And then joy. We, we talked about this in the first point, right? The the fact that, okay, because you've shown that kind of love to me, I, I, have, I now have hope. I have hope for my future, for my eternity, that can never be taken away from me. Yeah, it's something to be grateful for, isn't it? That gives me perspective on life that I didn't have before. And then peace, that there's peace in my soul, and that there's peace inside me and around me in ever-increasing measure because things are becoming as God wants them to be in my life. Yeah, something to be thankful for. You really can't experience great, you know, gratitude without experiencing those things from God. So express that gratitude towards God. And then gratitude towards others. Can we show gratitude? Can we be grateful for the people around us? So, uh, every Tuesday uh, for the last, I don't know, it's been years now, Pastor Gary has, has asked us at our staff meeting, he passes out cards at the beginning of the meeting and says, Go write a card to somebody that you're thankful for. And uh, some of you are all like, well, I got one of those letters. That's cool. I hope, I hope you experienced gratitude when you read that. And uh, it's just a practice. It's, it, it does take time. But it's, it's showing gratitude towards others. What, what is it that we're doing? What, what we're saying is, hey, we're, we're all a part of the same team. We're working 
together to see God's kingdom come to earth. We're, we're part of his mission together. And, and we got teammates who were like, hey, thank you so much. You helped me see a little joy there. You, you helped me see God's kingdom come to earth, and I'm grateful for that. And so if, if you're sitting here thinking to yourself, well, I'm not sure who I would be grateful for. I'm not sure how I would show gratitude. Well, get on the team with other believers, other Christians, and get working together for God's mission on planet Earth, you'll start to have things you're grateful for. You'll start to have people you're grateful for. Show gratitude towards others. Get on the same team. Get to working. You'll have something to be grateful for. And then, just to sum it up, gratitude in all circumstances. How, is, that, is, that, is that possible? That, that when tragedy strikes that we can actually be grateful in those circumstances. Well, Paul, Paul seems, it seems like he's, has he done it? I think he's done it. I mean, he's the one that wrote Rejoice in Prison. I'm thankful for these trials. He wrote that. I think it was coming from a place of lived experience from him, and he was, he was, he was able to say that with all honesty. How is that, how is that possible? Well, it becomes... When, when our hope is set in, on Jesus, when our joy comes from, from him, seeing king, the kingdom come to earth, we can actually then look at what's going on around our lives as opportunities to be made more like him. And some of you all might be saying, I'm not sure I want to be more like him. I'm not sure what that looks like. I'm not sure I actually want that. That's the first step is learn what it looks like to be in perfect fellowship with him and, and him actually transforming you to be more like him. It's, it's sweet. It's wonderful. And then that becomes your goal. And now this circumstance is temporary and nothing in this circumstance that you have can steal the hope that you're going to spend eternity with him, perfect and in perfect fellowship with him. And so now this circumstance becomes an opportunity to be made more like him. And you can give thanks to him in that circumstance. And I think the very act of, of you have a trial, you have, you have something that's going on that's, that's rocking your world, the very statement, the question to God, God, how, can I, how am I supposed to be grateful for this? He goes, boom, you're right in the center of my will right now. You're asking the question. You're, you're wanting to be more like me. That's it. What is he? he says, give me faith like a mustard seed. I don't, need, I don't need perfect faith. Just give me the smallest little God response to the smallest movement of our heart towards him. Just the, just the asking. God, show me how I can be grateful for this. He says, you're experiencing my will right now. You're in it. You're in the middle of my will. Don't you want, don't you want to experience God's will in every area of your life? Don't you want to be transformed? I do. That's what I want. I want you to think about somebody, maybe you, know, maybe you don't have anybody in your life like this, but, but I'm, I'm willing to bet you do. And, and think about the person, let, let that person's face come to mind, that person's name come to mind. You, you think about this person, you're going, that person, they just seem to always be joyful. They've got this current of joy running in their soul that seems to be unshakable. You know somebody like that? And they're always... They seem to always be in fellowship with God. They're always talking about what they're learning from God and, 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 and what he's showing them and, and the conversations they're having with God. Like, it just leaks out. It just seems like, man, yeah, that person, they're just always in fellowship with God. How's that? 
and, and they, just, they just have this like gratitude and encouragement always. And you're like, how is this? Have you, ever, have you ever looked at like whoever that person is in your mind right now and thought to yourself, I just don't think I could be like that. I, I, that's just not, that's not my personality. That's just not the way I look at the world. That's just, I've been through too much or whatever. Well, I'm here to tell you, you can be like that. That didn't come, that person didn't get that way on accident. It comes through time. You can be a person that is always joyful. You can be a person who's always in fellowship with God. You can be a person that's always grateful. Why do I know that? Because that's God's will for you. That's what he wants for you. And is it going to take time? Yes, it will take time. It's going to take surrender of your heart and your, your, your desires and your will to God and to, and to say, God, okay, I'm ready to want what you want for me and not what I want for myself. It's going to take that kind of surrender. It's going to take uh, staying in constant fellowship with other believers who are on that same journey with you and not pushing away from the table and just, just hanging with each other and learning from each other and keeping each other accountable. It's going to take a willingness for you to really change from the inside out. For God to look inside your heart and say, God, I want you to show me, show me what I'm, the condition of my heart. And I want you to change and transform me to be more like you. It can happen. It will happen if you do these things. If you, if you submit yourself to God through his Holy Spirit, it will happen. And it must happen if you want to experience God's will for your life. There's no other way. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. First, we thank you for your son, Jesus, the one who made it possible for us to be right with you, to have this fellowship, to have, to have our, our souls be saved and right with you and have this hope for eternity that we will spend eternity with you in perfect fellowship, righteous and holy, just as you are. We thank you so much that it did not require us to be the ones who made ourselves perfect and right, Lord, that, that you did the work for us. That's something to be grateful for and to be joyful about. I pray for the person who's here that is, they've, never, they've never confessed that you are their Lord and Savior. They've never submitted themselves to your will for their lives, Lord, that they would do that now. They would not wait another moment or another day, Lord, but to, to ask for you to to make them right with you through the person of Jesus Christ. I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would, in ever-increasing measure, submit ourselves to you and that you would make us to be grateful and to be joyful and to be in fellowship with you, Lord, that that's what we want. And we're so thankful for your grace that allows that to happen. Lord, we can't do it on our own, Lord. We have to rely on your spirit, rely on your power and your grace to make it happen. And we are so grateful that you make it available to us. We pray this in your name. Amen.